You are listening to Shining Star Community Church, English Ministries Sunday Message. Please visit us at www.shiningstar.life. Today, if you're to walk around anywhere, Tyson's Corner, on the streets, Lowen's Plaza, and you're to go up to any individual, I would say most individuals, if you were to ask them um, what the rainbow meant to them, I think more often than not, they would identify it as the banner for the homosexual community. If you were to ask anyone, if you go to high schools and you show them a flag of, or show them a picture of a rainbow, most would say, again, it's the uh, it's what, what, what represents the LGBTQ um, community. If you were to ask a scientist that same question, Dr. So-and-so or scientist so-and-so, what, what, what do you guys think about the rainbow? They'll probably say, a rainbow, it's, in, uh, it's an arc of concentric colored bands that develop when sunlight interacts with raindrops, where the sunlight is refracted. I'm actually trying to give you a science lesson here. Okay, <clears throat> it's refracted as it enters a raindrop, which causes the different wavelengths of visible light, and those different visible lights separate and become different colors. Everyone say, wow, I didn't know that. Wow, wow. I didn't know that either. I can't wait to give the explanation to Ada when she grows up. <laughs> the rainbow is still a mystery in many ways, and it has been a long time. Actually, many cultures have their own kind of explanation. Uh, for instance, in Albania, Long time ago, the rainbow is um, believed to be the belt of the goddess of beauty who later became a Catholic saint uh, by the name of Prindy. In Greek mythology, the rainbow is the belt of Iris, who is the daughter of Electra, who is the messenger of the gods of Olympus, where her belt acted as a bridge or stairway from the heavens to the earth, where she would go back and forth to relay the messages. Still other cultures believe the rainbow was actually a curse. In fact, some tribal beliefs attribute the rainbow to drought, because the rainbow always appears when it's what? Raining, right? Or when it's wet. And so the superstition is that the rainbow during those times acts like a sponge and soaks up all the rain, <coughs> forcing the earth to be in drought. So they don't like the rainbow. When they see a rainbow, they're like, the water's going to go away soon, right? But I think the most familiar story is that we, uh, whether you believe it or not, I hope you don't, is that there was a bunch of little Irish leprechauns <laughs> who uh, at the end of the rainbow, they have a pot of gold, and if you ever get to the end of rainbow, which <laughs> I don't know if you ever tried doing that because you can't, um, these leprechauns, if you find it, if you find these little Irish leprechauns and you find them, you, they will grant you any wish that you could ever want. So good luck trying to do that. To the Muslims in Iran, it's not so much about the rainbow itself, but about the colors that it represents. And so uh, for them, the green means abundance, red means war, yellow means death, and so on. Dorothy from the Wizard of Oz thought to herself that somewhere over the rainbow there's a land where dreams really do come true. So what does the Bible say? Well, it's interesting because there never was really any significance or message to any other kind of heavenly bodies. Like the sun never represented S-U-N, by the way. The sun never represented anything, right? It, it had no message to it. 
The moon never had any significance either. There was no message to it. The stars never really meant anything either. There was no special message from it. They were, if anything, kind of indicators of seasons and calendar days, but that's about it. That's about all we get from these bodies of heaven. Really, the only significance is that the stars and the moon and the sun, they just kind of are reference points for days, weeks, months, years, and seasons. And yet you'll find that there's only one thing you will see in the sky today. That's a sign. Only one thing that God has placed there to give a message, a spiritual message. And that's the rainbow. Turn to your neighbor and say the rainbow. Now, <clears throat> can you imagine what Noah felt the moment he came out of the ark? You know, in today's world, especially in the more developed westernized countries like America, right? If something gets destroyed, let's say tornadoes or hurricanes or flash floods, earthquakes, things of that nature, we typically have the government or humanitarian efforts or aids organizations who will come and clear the rubble up and they'll build something new or if it's, you know, at least they'll fix what was broken. But remember, it was just Noah and his family. And the moment they stepped out, what did they see? They just saw devastation. They saw everything completely destroyed. There wasn't anyone else who could pick stuff up and, and build a civilization for them and for no one's family to kind of enter into that. No, there was no one because they were the only people left on earth. And so the first thought that, could probably, that probably came through his mind was this, sin did this. And maybe the next thought that came to his head was, oh, wait, I'm still sinful too. You see, Noah, he completely understood, if there was anything, one thing. And that was, it was sin that caused the flood. Remember, God hated sin. God hated the wickedness. God hated the evil that was just running rampant. So God put judgment, and he poured out his wrath in the form of a flood, a global, widespread flood. So no one knows it was sin that caused this flood. And so maybe the next time it began to rain, <coughs> even if it was just a light drizzle, Maybe he began to get a little nervous, right? A little bit nervous, thinking maybe my time is up. Look, if you go to Washington State and you go to a, a Seattle, to the city of Seattle, and you talk to anyone there, and you go, what do you think of rain? They'll probably say, it's not too bad, right? You just get used to it. Well, if you were to ask Noah, who in his entire 600 years of life never once seeing rain, and then all of a sudden experiencing a worldwide flood. If you asked him, he'd probably say, oh, I don't like it. I don't like it. It makes, it brings me fear. This idea of rain, it brings me fear. Maybe, maybe months after he had disembarked from the, from the ark and he saw the, the gray clouds, the storm clouds coming, it made him nervous. It shook him. Is this, this, is, is this going to be it for me? because I know I'm a sinful man still. Is my judgment coming? I think it was a legitimate thought. He's thinking, would this be the pattern from now on? Maybe anytime he slipped out of line, anytime he got distant from God, anytime he, his trust in God kind of wavered, anytime he didn't perform the right kind of ceremonies and rituals and sacrifices, anytime he forgot to lead his family in worship, are all those things now kind of looming over his head? Are, those, are all those things punishable? by death, by flood. And maybe some of you guys, you, you're, you kind of approach and view God the same way. Maybe you see God as some big cosmic bully with a big magnifying glass trying to fry you, right? Maybe you, you have a fear of God that's not biblical. 
Maybe you think that the reason why you're going through what you're going through is because God in his vengeance has opened the floodgates into your life, wreaking havoc, pain, and suffering. He's going to get you, and that's how you view God. So you're always kind of skittish, this idea of approaching, and this idea of a loving, faithful father. So such a distant concept, you're thinking, that doesn't seem accurate to me. I'm a bit scared of him. Well, what happens? Here, God, he made a covenant with Noah and his sons. <coughs> the waters shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. Everyone say hallelujah. God, he says, never again. Like, to really enforce that idea of, of never doing it again, he says it five times. He says it twice in chapter 8, and he says it three times in chapter 9. He says it to Noah, never again, never again, Noah, never again, never again, never again, Noah. And so God, he designated the rainbow as a sign of his pledge, his covenant. Now hear me out, people. God, he didn't make a mistake in flooding the world. It wasn't like, there was, you know, switches like a hurricane switch and then like a tornado switch and an earthquake switch and a flood and a global flood switch. And he was just leaning too close to the wall of the flood switch and he accidentally pressed it. And he's like, oh no, everyone's dead. Like it wasn't something he like regrets. And he's like, oh man, this, oh, I need to be more careful. It wasn't anything like that. If I could be so bold, here it is. Noah and his family, they shouldn't have even been saved. They shouldn't have even been saved. Why? They were no different from the others. They too were sinful. They too were unholy and tainted and marred with sins. They too had wickedness in their hearts. And before you go, that's a bit too far. Noah's a good guy. Well, check your heart. I think you guys are pretty good people too. Check your hearts. Are you truly good too? All the time? Or do you find yourself surprised to see in that own, your own wickedness and evil in your heart and in your mind. I mean, how many times have you ever thought of while driving, someone cuts you off, you want to do bad things to them more than blessing them, right? When someone hurts you, gossips, what do you want to do? You want to get back at them. See, you, what's, this point, what's the point here? Noah and his family, they had wickedness in their hearts. They did what was right in their eyes, and they did what was wrong in the eyes of God. And yet somehow, because of God's mercy and grace, the Lord decided to show favor upon them and save them. And so in his grace, knowing his family, they left the ark and through the rainbow, God, he promised to sustain the world. Now this is a powerful point because here more than anywhere else, you'll see that God is the one who's established as the covenant keeper, covenant maker. He's the one who makes that personal commitment to man. You and I, we, make our, we break our promises all the time, don't we? All the time. Turn to your neighbor and say, stop it. We break our promises all the time, but God is the promiser who makes covenants, and he keeps them. So what does God promise? Here in chapter 8, verse 22, the words says, While the earth remains, seed, time, and harvest, cold, and heat, summer, and winter, day, and night shall not cease. The judgment of sin, the judgment of man, okay? The all-coming judgment of sin and judgment of man, it's going to come. It is coming. Just know that. It's coming. But here, God is saying that he will for now withhold the judgment that man deserves. See, that, that judgment where God, he's like, you know what, I'm going to eradicate all evil and wickedness and sin for once and for all and establish a new heaven and a new earth. You know, the second coming of Christ? He's saying, I'm going to withhold that right now. 
I'm going to hold back that wrath, that justice, and that anger that I have against the wickedness of the world and mankind. I'm going to withhold my judgment. But for what reason would he withhold his judgment? There's no reason. Quite honestly, that should have been done long ago. There shouldn't have been a 19th, a 20th, or 21st century. God's judgment could have and should have come much earlier, and yet for some reason that we don't quite comprehend in our limited finite minds, in God's grace and his, and his abounding mercy, he chooses to what? Sustain life. Sustain life upon the earth. But listen, you know those not always sane individuals on the street corners who talk to themselves and also yell, repent, the kingdom of God is near? Now, I've only seen that once in D.C. I've seen it many times in New York. Okay? So maybe D.C. I don't know, whatever. Okay, so... Uh, the crazy part is this, that their message is not crazy. It's true. God's judgment is coming. But get this, this is where the rainbow fits in. Until that day of judgment, of, of final judgment comes, our days up to that day, get this, our days until that day comes, our days will not be characterized and lived in fear of that judgment. No, instead, our days until that day comes will be characterized and lived in light of God's goodness, rainbow. Okay? Are you following along with me? So we have God's judgment that's going to come. But he's saying this, you will live your days up to that point. Your life will be filled not with fear of my condemnation judgment, but will be filled with the promise of the rainbow that I won't do what I'm gonna, what I should do right now. But I'm gonna withhold it. So judgment is coming, but an even, even louder yes and praise God, God's grace is with us today. God is sustaining the world. Jesus will one day come to deliver his own people and judge the wicked on the last day. But until that day comes, he is not willing for all to perish. And so he sustains life on the earth, which has now been for several millennia so that we could see God's kindness. For thousands of years, we can see God's kindness that would lead us to repentance. All these days, up until the day that will come when Christ comes is characterized not by the fear that God brings, but by the love that God shows, by his goodness. Because we will see all these days of our lives, even though life is hard, even though it can be bleak, you will see the kindness of God that will lead us to repentance. So let's talk about this covenant a little bit more. When God gave Abraham the covenant, the sign, <clears throat> the sign was circumcision. When God gave Moses the covenant, the sign was Sabbath. But when God made covenant with Noah, the sign was a rainbow. It says here, this is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and <coughs> every living creature that is with you for all future generations. Verse 13, I have set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. Let me get a little bit deeper with this. I'm betting some of you guys at first glance when you guys were reading it were a bit confused as to why you didn't see the word rainbow. Right? Maybe if you have like the message or New Living Translation, you see rainbow. Maybe there's pictures in the Bible. I don't know, right? But you probably didn't see the word rainbow in this text. So let me explain. In Hebrew, the word bow that you read, right, that God placed a bow, the word is called kesheth. Can everyone say kesheth? And what is that bow? Is it the bow that we put presents on? No. Is it the shorthand term for the word rainbow? 
And the author or the writer, Moses, he's got a little bit lazy. He's like, I'm, I'm just a bow, LOL, right? Was that it? No, it was an actual battle bow, like bow and arrow. These weapons were used, what? For death and for destruction. If you've ever seen any kind of cave pictures or in your history books of ancient civilizations, especially the ancient Near East, and you see pictures of like, you know, the god, the pharaoh gods or these smaller deities of other countries, and you see these pictures, what do you typically see? They have a hand in their, they have a spear in their hand, and many times they have like what? A bow and arrow, right? You seen those cave drawings and stuff like that? Why? Because it's supposed to symbolize that this deity, this lowercase g, God is a warrior, is a force to be reckoned with. Don't mess with this Pharaoh. Don't mess with this Egyptian God. Don't mess with this Babylonian deity. Don't mess with these people. Well, in Exodus, in in the Old Testament, it says, the Lord is a warrior. Then in Habakkuk, it says, his bow is made bare. Then in Zechariah, it says, his arrows are lightning. So here we have now the image of God who's depicted as a warrior with a bow. And like the flood, God, he shot down the arrows of lightning piercing the earth. The earth broke open. The sky fell. Water volcanically erupted from the depths. The heaven poured out its watery destruction upon the earth. The warrior God punishing, punishing the wickedness of mankind. The bow. The Lord is a warrior and he was bringing judgment upon his enemies. But now we read that God has set that very instrument of destruction and of judgment up into the cloud as a sign of the covenant between him and the earth. And you're probably thinking, that's interesting. Why are you putting an instrument of death and destruction for us to kind of reflect upon? You see, the fact that the rainbow is up in the sky reflects, or the bow, I should say, is up in the sky, reflects the act of God who has hung up his bow who has hung up his bow as a sign of his mercy towards a world of sinners. And so whatever your interpretation of the rainbow might be, God has provided a sign for all people, believers and unbelievers alike, that he has made a promise to the world that he would never again destroy the world as he did before until that day of his final judgment. But for now, the great warrior God, he has hung up his bow And the days leading to that last will be characterized by his goodness and by his grace. This is what he's saying. He's saying, I'm withholding this from you. Like, you guys deserve it right now. The world deserves it. You You guys don't want me. You guys hate me. You guys rebel against me. I should be, I should smite you all because you want nothing to do with me. But I'm gonna, I'm gonna hang it up. I'm gonna retire my bow right now. I'm gonna retire my judgment. And instead, I'm going to give you grace. I'm going to give you opportunities, giving people the time they need, the opportunities they need to come to a saving relationship with God who desires peace with his people. You see the rainbow? It's a symbol of grace. The hung up bow in the sky is a symbol of mercy. It represents the fact that that grace had victory over judgment. As difficult as life can be and is, the very air we breathe today is by God's grace. The fact that you and I woke up today is by God's grace. You know, we always say this, and we're like, yeah, I'm obviously I'm happy to be alive, right? But more so, as you become a parent, 
you really appreciate it, especially in terms of you know, your children. Seeing them, being, seeing, having a newborn freaks you out because you always go into the room just making sure. And sometimes you'll put your eyes parallel to their chest to make sure it rises. You do that. The little things that we have in life, the fact that we're here today, sitting, that we can smile and we can enjoy, these are the good graces of God. What is grace? It's giving us something that we don't deserve. What is mercy? It is withholding something that which we do deserve. You see, God, he gave us grace. He lavishes grace upon us. But he's also merciful in that he hung up his bow. I don't know how often you get to see a rainbow, but I think just reflecting upon God's covenant should be enough for us to lead, for us to lead a lifetime of worship and thanksgiving. What does a world that wants nothing to do with God deserve? It deserves judgment. But what did we get? We got grace. Because this is the age when God has hung up his bow, and instead of death, he's given us time. He's given us time. Let's talk about the cross. You know, the peace of God is temporary for the world today. And that peace will one day end. But the rainbow not only speaks of temporary peace, it also speaks of a forever peace. The thing about the covenant of God is that it's God who makes this covenant with us. And because he makes it with us, he binds himself to that covenant no matter what. What would God be if he was a promise breaker? Think about that. If God in any of the promises that he laid out in scripture, let's say God, he broke it. He goes, oh, sorry, I, I didn't have time. Or I forgot. What would happen? He'd be a fraud. He'd be unworthy of worship. He would not be God. But we know God is a promise keeper and he binds himself to his promises. Well, a covenant means a contract between two parties. And so what does that say about the relationship God desires to have with you? It says that we can have hope for the future, no matter how dark life may get, because we worship a God who not only wants to have a relationship with, with us, but we worship a God who's willing to do what it takes to ensure that relationship happens. Praise God. So what did he do? He sent his son to be the final and ultimate covenant between God and man. Jesus Christ, the Son of God himself, put on human flesh and took on our sins once and for all. For those of you guys who, for some reason, as you're kind of thinking about what you're hearing today, and you're thinking, I'm, it's hard for me to take that step of faith to the Lord. It's hard for me to give and surrender myself to God. Maybe you think you've messed up. Maybe, maybe right now you're thinking in your hearts, Pastor David, if you really knew who I was, I'd be one of those people outside the ark, banging at the door to let me in. I'd be outside that ark. Maybe some of you guys have been falling away from your promise to love God. Maybe some of you guys are considered backsliders who have been running away prodigally from God. Maybe for those of you guys, you, some of you feel unworthy of love, unworthy of forgiveness because of the quantity or the degree of sins that you've committed. God says to you today, Hey, I've hung up my bow. I don't have anything against you. I've hung up my bow. I am not going to wipe you out. Instead, I'm offering you my grace today. I've hung up my bow. I'm offering you my grace. The same grace I offer to Noah and his family. When you're unsure right now as to how to view God or how to even approach God, 
Just think about this. Think about the rainbow that even in God's wrath against you and against the sins in your life, he offers you still peace. He offers you grace. Just think about the rainbow as it pointed to the cross where God put his own son to take on, get this, the mighty arrows of his bow. Jesus took it on to die for you and me. Brothers and sisters, you see, if you, if, you, if you come to Jesus today, I don't care if you're a Christian, a veteran Christian for many years, or if you're someone who's still seeking unsure, or maybe, maybe this is all brand new to you today. If you come to Jesus, here's the grace of God. You will not be turned away. You will not be turned He will not say, I need someone who has a better pedigree, someone whose parents have been Christians for a while. I need someone who knows the ins and outs of what church ministry is like. I need someone who, who's actually a decent person. Have you ever cheated? Have you ever cheated on your taxes? Have you done this a lie or whatever? No, no. See, I need someone who's actually, here's the bare minimum. No, no. Whoever comes to Christ today by his grace, because his bow has been hung up, he says, I will take you on. I will bring you here. You will not be turned away. Why? Because the blood of Christ will save you. The rainbow promise guarantees that God's mercy is for you. It is a promise. It's for all who labor under heavy burdens of guilt and shame and personal sorrows and confusion and whatever. People who think even that they've figured life out. People who believe that even they call themselves Christians and come out every Sunday. He says, I've hung it up. My grace is for you. The rainbow shows us that we deserved wrath, but instead we got grace. The cross shows us that we should have died, but instead we got life. Brothers and sisters, what is the Lord saying to you today? I think it's clear. You have only one decision to make. You can be fearful and expect God to take back that bow down and smite you. Where you trust in what God has said, he says, I have made a pact with you, a promise, a covenant. My bow has been hung up, and I offer you my grace. Come, be my child. And not only will you receive the temporary peace in this world until that final day of judgment, but in Christ Jesus alone, you will receive eternal peace because you are my own. Let's pray. Brothers and sisters, we want to take this opportunity to respond to what you've heard, reflect upon the thoughts you have, and definitely just be open to hear the voice of God speak into your heart today. I want to give you guys just a moment without filling this time or this space or your minds with even more words, but I believe the Lord has spoken. Take a moment just to pray your prayers. Seek the Lord. Check your hearts. Then we'll go into our time of communion. God's grace is there for you. Receive it. Take it. It's yours. Let's pray. And now as we enter into uh, the time of the Lord's Supper, the Lord asks us to examine our own hearts and to reflect upon the holiness of God. When you think about the holiness of God, you begin to see the reality of our unholiness. 
and how just our hearts and our minds are so polluted with things that are not of God, so unholy things, so sinful things, and you think to yourself, how in the world could I ever get to a holy and perfect and righteous God? And the answer to that is you can't. You can't. If God really is who he says he is, that he is perfect and he is just, then a just and holy God cannot let sin go unpunished. Therefore, what could I possibly do but to reap what I sow and pay the penalty of my sins, and that is death. And yet what did God do? He said, I love the world so much that he gave his one and only son. You see, because he was propelled by his love for you, he gave you his only son, Jesus Christ, to take on your sins, your burdens, your shame, your guilt, so that you can become right before the eyes of a holy and perfect God. You see, when God sees you now as one who has accepted Jesus and believed that Jesus died for you and your sins, God no longer sees a sinner in you. He sees his son in you. He sees that you are no longer clothed with unrighteousness, but you are now clothed with righteousness. He no longer sees that you are just marred and tainted with sin, but he sees a justified life, holy and blameless. And so this Lord's Supper, it asks for Christians, believers, to say, God, thank you. Thank you for your salvation. Thank you that you did this for me. And yet, God, at the same time, I realize that sin is no joke to you. This is a moment for us to examine our hearts and make sure that whatever sin that you're harboring, you are surrendering to Christ today. Like, don't let this be an annual thing like you do this on some revival night or some Christmas night when you feel right. No, it's got to be today. It's got to be every day where you say, God, take it from me because when I, when I give it to you, you make me new and I get to live anew with you every day. After you take some time to pray over this, please come up. As someone who believes in Christ Jesus, someone who believes that he died and rose again, as someone who professes <coughs> the lordship of Christ over your life and your commitment to this church, the body of Christ, please join us to the left and to the right as we do Lord's Supper together. Father, we thank you for the message of the Lord's Supper. It's that it is one of self-examination for the Christian. We dare not partake in it as if it's like any other meal, but, but that we would take this in a way that's sober, prayerful, faithful, in a way that ensures that we know we're right between us and you. God, we thank you for your desire and your faithfulness in sending your son, Jesus, to die on our behalf. But Lord, we also express our sorrow that it was because of our sins that led to that great sacrifice. Through this prayer and through this time, we acknowledge the fact that we are partaking in fellowship with one another 
and with you, Christ, as the head. And so we express our desire that we will continue from this point on to live a life that is worthy of this great sacrifice. Father, we pray that we would live in a way that's honorable, in a way that glorifies your name, in a way that is obedient. And lead us, Lord, if there are sins in our lives, if there are difficulties and barriers between you and us, Father, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you would break down those walls so that we would live a life that is new. God, we thank you. We bless you. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Please join me.